Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host Connor Bromley and I am joined by Ned Keating and we're going to talk transfers today. Yes, the football season, I suppose, ended well, the domestic season at the weekend with Man City winning the Champions League and now we look ahead to the summer where you get the silly season of transfers, Ned, and we've got some transfers today. We're going to decide if there's some silly ones or if there's some serious ones. Um, We'll start with Manchester United, a story from the MEN today. Um, Man United looking for a striker and... Iceland linked 20-year-old playing in Syria for Atalanta. £17 million, uh, euros, sorry, they paid for him last summer. 10 goals in his first season in Italy. Do you think this transfer makes sense for Manchester United? In terms of the fact that it looks, you know, all the talk is that they think a deal for Harry Kane is unlikely. So that's the reason why they've now turned their attentions to uh, to Hoyland. Um they need a striker. Obviously, that's clear. Um, you know, Anthony Martial was the only out-and-out striker. If we can call him that as well, he's he's fluctuated between being a winger and a striker throughout his Manchester United career. So it's it's hard to know whether or not we can call him an out-and-out striker. But he is the only one that was on the books for them last season. I know they brought him without Veghorst, but let's be honest, that was never going to be something that long-term Manchester United were going to be interested in. I think that was kind of needs must uh, after getting rid of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, before the World Cup, just before the World Cup, that, that they needed bodies in the uh, bodies in the squad and, and that course was just that. But now we've come to the summer, there could be the possibility of more money to play with, of course. We're talking this week in the takeover news is said to be imminent. Reports this morning that it looks like uh, Sheikh Hazin uh, from Qatar is, is going to be the uh, announced as preferred bidder uh, later this week. Um and so, of course, then that might bring with it more money. And, of course, more money means that they are now actually in the market for a striker that they can sign permanently rather than, obviously, with, with Fedcore signing him on loan from Burnley in January. He does fit, I think, the profile for where Manchester United want to go and, and the direction of travel that they're going in. Um, I think they're trying to build a, not so much a dynasty, but you look at kind of how Arsenal, you compare it to them, um, you know, the players that Arsenal have tried to buy, especially in the in, in recent windows, these young players, talented players that that have shown glimpses, but their potential is still yet to come. So they're kind of almost investing in their future a little bit. And I think Man United might be wanting to 
follow that path a bit as well. Um, try to build a team that can be around, you know, not for one cycle, but two or three cycles as well. So we're talking, you know, players that could be around for 10 years. Again, going back to Harry Kane, he's, you know, 29, he's 30 next month as well. He's not that player that's going to be around for those three, four, five cycles. Hoyland could well be. And, and as you said there, 20 years old, he fits that profile of young, exciting, uh, talented players from across Europe that maybe, just maybe, can stick around for 10 years or so. And, and really kind of, you know, almost go back to those Fergie years for United. I know, I know they're trying hard not to, to hark back to those, but he's a player that can be around there for the long haul. It's not like a kind of stopgap, which perhaps Kane would be, again, because you might be looking for another striker in four or five, six years' time to replace Kane, whereas with Hoyland, you, you could be looking at the, your striker for the next 10 to 15 years. Again, with what Manchester City were able to achieve last summer by bringing in Erling Haaland. They don't have to worry for that position all going well. They won't have to worry in that position for a long while. And, and maybe that's what Man United are looking for with Hoyland. How do you see him fitting in to how they play? I mean, you know, he's four caps, five goals for Denmark. So that's a, it's a high level of plays, obviously in the Serie A at the minute. But do you think he fits into Man United's play style? You touched on the fact that they, they don't really have out and out strikers. Do you see Hoyland being the only option for them this summer or do you think they'll have to sign another striker on top of that? I think the interesting thing is the way that Manchester United play. They only play with one striker up top but Hoyland for, for Atalanta seems to enjoy having players around him um, and that's not to say that you know you, you like Sir James Sancho, Anthony Rashford when they play on the wings they don't drift inside and, and they don't offer that support that way but it's one thing to kind of, you know, to be that central focal point, and especially for a 20-year-old as well. This is this is the other thing. This is a, if he does end up being Manchester United's sole striking signing this summer, again, I think they need more. I, I don't think they can rely on, it, it, you know, by all accounts, they are looking to move on Anthony Martial, which does mean that they should be in the market for a starting striker and a backup striker. That could be the interesting thing. Maybe Hoyland isn't, you know, the main man, uh, to start with, because of course, the 20 year old going to Manchester United and being their leading striker, you know, with, with potentially that famous number nine shirt being available for him as well, that's a lot of pressure to put on a, a relatively young player. So, if, in that respect, yes, you might be right that they, they could be looking for someone else. But in terms of what he brings, it, 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 he will have to adjust slightly, I think. Um, but of course, he's at that young age where you can adjust a bit more, you can pick things up, potentially a little bit quicker. Bad habits haven't been ingrained. I'm not saying that. 30-year-old strikers have bad habits in it, but you know what it's like. You know, it's kind of, it's harder for them to kind of shake them from the system, whereas the 20-year-old, you kind of learn, you still pick it up and you still play any trade in the game. I think he'll be a good player for the Premier League. I think you're seeing kind of, uh, he likes to play on the show and he's got a, a good burst of pace as well. And I think that's where the Premier League's going. I think we've gone away from, um, you know, you kind of big, tall target men strikers that we had maybe 10, 15 years ago in the Premier League. I know Erling Haaland maybe is a little bit of a throwback towards that as well, but Haaland has that turn of pace that you can get past someone um, and, and play on the shoulder and, and kind of beat the defenders that way. And I think that's what Hoyland would bring to Manchester United, that pace, that ability to, to beat the defender, a bear down and go and hopefully fire it home. Okay, well, we'll move on now. Still sticking at Manchester United, but David De Gea has been linked um, also on the MEN this morning, although I think pretty much everywhere's covering this, but Saudi Arabia apparently interested in adding some older players to the already older league. Um, apparently United interested in a new goalkeeper, so it would make sense for De Gea to leave, but also Man United are apparently in contract talks with De Gea, uh, seemingly going to be maybe a lower amount of money. I think he's one of the highest paid players there. At the moment, to me, 
from the outside looking in, I think it makes sense for Manchester United to move on from David De Gea and start afresh with a new goalkeeper. So I'm surprised that they are in contract talks with him. But do you see De Gea moving to Saudi Arabia or do you think he sticks around as Man United's number one stroke number two next year? I don't... I think from a Man United point of view, I'm completely in agreement with you there, that how can you be planning and thinking about getting a new goalkeeper in whilst offering your new num- uh, your current number one reduced terms and hoping that he sticks around but then you're still shopping for someone else to replace him. It, it, seems, it seems strange. Um, and especially the way that Manchester United have tried to play. We saw it, you know, the, the Sevilla game in the Europa League is, is the biggest example of this, that David De Gea struggles to play how Eric Ten Hag wants a goalkeeper to play. And there's that difficulty going forward. That will still be the issue. Again, you know, where I was saying about Hoyland being a 20-year-old, he can learn new things. David De Gea, uh, uh, you know, what's he, 31 now, I think, isn't he? He's, he's approaching, anyway, the twilight years of his career. Of course, for a goalkeeper, that can go on probably for about another 10 years or so. But he's not going to be able to change his style of play like that. You know, I won't expect him to. He's, he's the style of goalkeeper that he is, is not going to inherently change between now and the end of his career. So Manchester United clearly have issues with how he fits into their style of play, which is why they're looking for a new goalkeeper. So it does seem strange that they're sending contract talks with him. But De Gea himself, it all depends on, on you know, what's available to him. Is there Are there clubs in Europe that are on the lookout for a goalkeeper? Real Madrid have got Thibaut Courtois tied down. Atletico Madrid have Jan Oblak. Um, Barcelona have Ter Stegen still there as well. So that's a return to Spain ruled out. You know, there are occasional murmurings that PSG and, and Gianluigi Donnarumma that, you know, he's had to come out and quell talk that he might want to leave in the summer as well. Maybe that might be the only other European destination you could see for De Gea going to um, in terms of if he was to stay in Europe. So, of course, if he doesn't stay in Europe, as you said there, Saudi Arabia then becomes the number one destination. Um, the money that they're, they're, I'd say, chucking the players, we kind of go through these cycles, don't we, in terms of... Um, Retirement leagues. I'll, I'll be harsh and I will call them retirement leagues because the players, as you said, they're, they're, they're of a certain age, they're at a certain stage in their career and it's normally towards the end of it. Um, you know, we had it with China a few years back where they were just chucking loads of money and, and getting loads of players in previously with the MLS as well, which is quite funny because we maybe we're coming back into that that stage of the MLS because Lionel Messi's going out there looking to Miami. Maybe we're getting back into that stage as well that they'll start attracting um, some some big name players at the end of their career. But for sure, if, you, if you're not lo- moving into Europe, then, you know, the next best chance for De Gea of getting the money that he seemingly wants. Because again, if he's, if there are these contract negotiations going on with Manchester United and they have been for some months and we're still sat here now with, what is it, probably less than three weeks to go until his contract actually expires, well, then that tells you that there's a big disparity in what Manchester United are offering and what David De Gea wants. And in terms of what I've just listed there, there's not really any club in Europe that could offer that money that are on lookout for a goalkeeper, which then leaves him perhaps with that only option of moving to Saudi Arabia. Well, we'll jump now to Chelsea. So you'll have to bear with us here because there's a lot of things happening at Chelsea, certainly in terms of players <laughs> they're getting rid of. So Chelsea apparently expecting to offload at least 10 players this summer. And I'll run through the names of players that are, are being linked away. So you've got Kepa. Edward Mendy, Cesar Spilicueta, Kovacic, Conor Gallagher, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Ethan Ampadu, Callum Hubstein-Doy, Baba Raman, and you've also got the Romelu Lukaku situation. 
Uh, a huge squad. We knew that last season when they just decided to buy everyone. They've got players like Nkunku coming in as well uh, this summer. What happens with Chelsea? Do all these players go and are they in a really bad selling position because everyone knows they have to get rid of players? For me, I look at that and if I'm, say, uh, Newcastle United, who are you know wanting to buy players for the Champions League, do they look at players like you know Callum Hudson Odoi, Conor Gallagher, and go, we can maybe get two English players very cheap there, and they'll help with our Champions League quotas? Do you think Chelsea, by having this information out there and making it so obvious that they need to get rid of players, do you think they're weakening their position in the transfer market? Hundred percent. I think you were uh, very rogue in picking Callum Hudson Odoi as a potential target for Newcastle. Not, not you know, to be too disrespectful to, to Mr. Hudson Odoi, but he's not fulfilled his potential that we saw a few years back. So I'd be surprised if a club from the Champions League, such as Newcastle, were to look at him uh, in in this particular window. But you're completely correct in that it, it's devaluing their product. Everyone knows that they've got to sell these players because they have to. Uh, you know, kind of balance the books for FFP and everything else because they've chucked so much money at the window. What was it, £650 million spent last year to finish, you know, there's one of the worst clubs in in London in the Premier League. Um, so they have to move these players on this summer. There will be low ball offers. You're completely correct in that because clubs know that, you know, it's it's kind of almost like when you go to a car boot sale, isn't it? That, you know, when you get towards the end of the day and you see someone's got loads of stock left and you kind of go, well, I don't want it at that price, but I think I can, because you're almost offering them money, money in their pocket. And they, you're kind of expecting them not to say no to it because they'd rather have cash in hand than they would go home with the stock. And Chelsea are in that same position. We're getting to the point now where the car boot sale isn't necessarily shutting yet, but they're in a position where they need to start selling. And because of that, that means that clubs will look at it, as you said there, and and kind of, you know, what would Conor Gallagher's market value be? Maybe 50 million? You'd start testing the waters with a 30 million pound bit because you know that you could probably go back in 30, 35, 40. You're not the desperate party in this situation, Chelsea are, because they have to sell these players. They have to move these players on, like we said, to balance the books. So because you're not the desperate party, that's fine. You can, you know, put the 30 million pound offer in, get rejected, come back in a couple of weeks, you know, kind of really play it cool and quick. Um, so it is going to be a difficult window for Chelsea in respect of if they think they're going to get the market value for a lot of these players, then they've got another thing coming. Um, equally, does that take up some time from bringing in new players as well? You know, the recruitment teams that are going to be working on this and, and fielding calls on this will also be, you know, in, in terms of the ones that are bringing in new players, will also be having deep conversations with the guys that are trying to move players on and you know how much does that then eat into the negotiations that Chelsea have with bringing in these new talents does that affect that um, because of course that they're going to be intrinsically linked Chelsea are they are talking about bringing in new players but surely they can't bring anyone else in until they get to a point that they start moving these players on so there's pressure there um, and, and yeah I, like I said you know I, th- I think we're approaching the stage of almost car boot sale territory where you can chuck any offer in, see what comes back. And like I said, you can walk away because you're not the desperate party and they'll probably come chasing you down the road saying, I can offer you for this, I can offer it for this instead. So I think it's a difficult summer ahead for Chelsea. And Football London also reporting that um, Romelu Lukaku has interest from Saudi Arabia. So we're back on the Saudi Arabia. I think that's going to be a common theme this summer. We're going to be talking about Saudi Arabia quite a bit. Um, Is that, no, he's maybe not in that, age bracket of an older player. You know, I know he's he's late twenties, I think, twenty eight, twenty nine. But he's still prime years, isn't he? Um surely he wouldn't be 
wanting to throw away them last sort of five or six years of his career. You know, especially you'll have hopes that Belgium can win internationally as well. You just think that surely you'd want to stay in Europe. I don't know. Um, I don't know if, if if your belief that Belgium can win sank is is correct. I think we've gone past that golden era for them. Um, and Lukaku as well with him, I think we've gone past the golden era in his career. I could be wrong and we'll dig this out in you know, two, three years' time and he's, he's completely proven me wrong. But you know, you think back to when he was at Manchester United and he, he didn't perform to the levels that we expected. I know he had a decent goal return, but he didn't perform to the levels that were perhaps expected of him. Um, goes off to Inter Milan, does brilliantly as in Italy, comes back to the Premier League Chelsea and, and doesn't perform there and, and threw his toys out of the Premier a little bit with that, um, with, with that interview that he did at the start of uh, 2022. Goes back to Inter Milan, doesn't set the world on fire. You know, we're only looking at perhaps a, a two-season window in the last five, six, seven seasons where Lukaku's actually performed anywhere near to the potential that he has and, and he had shown earlier on in his career. So... Which is the anomaly? Is it what's gone around it or is it what's in the middle? You know, it's like with Emir Adekani in tennis, everyone's like heaping praise and expecting it to go on and win loads of Grand Slams. But what's the outlier? Was it the fact that she went, uh, went all the way at the US Open and won it? Or is it the form, most of the form that she's shown since? And of course, the outlier is the US Open. Likewise with the Lukaku, maybe we've got to a stage in his career where the outlier happens to be those two seasons at Inter Milan and that actually he's now performing at the level that we saw at Manchester United, that we saw at Chelsea, and we saw at Inter again last season. If that is the case, then yes, you know, make the money while you still can. Saudi Arabia is going to be, I'm not saying footballers are poor and on bad wages in Europe, but he will make considerably more from moving to Saudi Arabia at this stage in his career. And what he's offered, maybe this might be the highest that he's offered and that if he stays another season in Italy or in Europe with any other club, that that wage offer because he has another difficult season where he doesn't perform up to the expectations that, that people have of him that that wage offer then comes down next season again. So in terms of him trying to get the best offer for himself in Saudi Arabia, again, this window might be the best time for him to move. Which of these players, last one on Chelsea, which of these players do you think will be the biggest loss for them? I mean, Mason Mount is is the obvious one to me that sticks out, but if Chelsea can't pay him what he wants and somebody else is paying, say, £80 million for him and then give him the contract he wants, it's a big pay for a player that's not had a great year. Um, and maybe Chelsea, in my opinion, could actually benefit from that sale controversial maybe but that's where I kind of sit in that but is there any players there that you look at and say that would be a mistake to get rid of them Mason Mount's a confusing one for me because I don't know where he sits as a player is he a central midfielder he's not big enough or strong enough yet is he a winger he's not quick enough is he a 10 I don't think he's clever enough um, so I don't know if he'll be a big loss for Chelsea I think I think the biggest loss is that I think he listed both goalkeepers there uh, am I right in saying that he listed both Kepa and Edouard Lindy. Yes, they're so both on the list. I, it's, it's, it's probably bad for me to say this because if you lose both of them, then of course that's a bad thing. I don't expect Chelsea to be that silly and to you know let both goalkeepers go out because then of course then you have to rush around trying to bring a new goalkeeper in. Um, you know, may, maybe Mount is, is in terms of that list, um, you know, in terms of again going back to the potential one that perhaps has the most to, to kind of grow in that squad. You know, players like Ziyech and, and Pulisic, they've not, again, shown enough glimpses of what they're able to produce or what we thought they would be able to produce when they came across to the Premier League. Um, and, they had, and they've been linked with, with exits in enough windows and they've never nailed down a, a first-team starting spot. 
Um, and, I, and I think again, going back to Mason Mount, as much as I'm a little bit confused over what he is as a as a footballer and where he fits in on the pitch, because he has been starting for Chelsea in those positions at a variety of different positions. Um, you, you know, he's probably the most senior first teamer on on that list, the one who's like regularly playing week in week out and has been a key part of Frank Lampard's plans, Thomas Tuchel's plans, Graham Potter's plans, and then. Frank Lampard a little bit again briefly before obviously suffering the injury um, uh, as well at the end of this season prematurely. So from a regular starter point of view, I would agree with you perhaps on, on that side of Mount. Um, again, the reason why these guys have all been linked is because, you know, they kind of, they've probably got to that stage where they've weighed it up and gone, can we survive without them? And will they bring us in the money that we need to balance the books? And, and, that, and that's clearly the decision that they come to on Mason Mount. Okay, we're going to switch now to Kylian Mbappe. Uh, one year left on his contract. He had an option for a third year, which he's not taking up. Told PSG he wants to leave. Everyone is looking at Real Madrid, I think, at this point. But Real Madrid have already said this summer that they're not going to sign him this summer. So there's a lot um, to take in there. But Mirror Football are reporting that PSG do not want to lose him on a free transfer which obviously means they have to sell him this summer or in January. You'd think this summer makes more sense. Could a Premier League team make a move, Ned? Do you think there's a chance that we could see, I don't know, uh, yeah, we're talking about Man United being the striker. Could Man United go, well, maybe we'll we'll make that move there. You'd think Man City doesn't make sense because they've got Haaland. Liverpool don't have Champions League football next year. Feels to me like there isn't an obvious Premier League option, but do you think that, you know, is there more than just Real Madrid out there for killing Mbappe? Saudi Arabia. I told you we'd be talking about them for quite a lot this summer. Um, but in, in all seriousness, well, I'm about to say all seriousness, I was going to suggest a swap deal between Harry Kane and Kylian Mbappe as well. But uh, I think I'm definitely living on cloud cuckoo land uh, if that was to uh, ever materialise. Why did these clubs move for him this summer though? Like This is the thing now, isn't it? That, that you know that his contract's going to tick down. He wants to leave. You wouldn't necessarily go in for him, right? It, it's, it's, and again, if you were to go in for him, you're going for Lobel Roffer, which no doubt PSG will go, that's not his value. We're not selling him and, and be quite stubborn. Um, Gillian Mbappé may want to move this summer. I don't think he's going to get there. Um, and again, you know, we could play this come September and he's lining up in for a Premier League club. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to suggest which because we know what a transfer window is like. And, you know, you only have to go back two years when we were all talking about Jack Grealish going off to Manchester United and the, the pictures of him last night celebrating the treble with Manchester City. Sometimes we can be surprised in a transfer window. Kylian Mbappe moving to the Premier League would certainly be that. You're right, Real Madrid does seem the obvious link. He's spoken long uh, about how much he wants to play for Real Madrid. He grew up, I think, as a supporter of the club as well. Definitely had the kits as a kid and used to run around in his garden playing pretending to be one of the Galacticos. Um, so that is, that almost kind of seems inevitable, feels inevitable. He feels like a Real Madrid player as well, the way that he carries himself, the use, the class, the charisma that he's got. Sound like I've got a man crushing in there a little bit. I do, maybe I, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Um, but Real Madrid does feel like the inevitable destination for Kylian Mbappe. I just don't think that, as Real Madrid have said, we're not going to sign him this summer. Again, look, that might just be bargaining tactics. If they said, yes, we are going all out to sign him, then again, obviously, that, you know, as much as Chelsea are in a bad selling position, that would have put Real Madrid in a bad buying position for Kylian Mbappe. Um, so, of course, they're never going to come out and say, yes, we absolutely want him this summer because, you know, that would probably stick 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million on the price tag. But even besides that, I think 
we will see clubs buy their time. They know the clock is ticking down and ticking down and ticking down. Or maybe the same goes with Harry Kane too. You know, bide your time, wait for these players to become available on a free transfer, and then the money you can offer, the wages that you can offer, are obviously a little bit more because you're not spending millions on, on signing them in the first place. So I would be surprised if Mr. Mbappe is to leave PSG, uh, despite the fact that he has informed the club that he he won't be sticking around past the end of his contract. Yeah, I mean, if I was Mbappe, I would not be signing the new deal. I wouldn't be going anywhere. I'd wait till next summer. He's only 24. Like, he's got so many years ahead of him and he can cope with winning another French title and getting to a Champions League quarterfinal. I'm sure he'll settle for that and get his move to Real Madrid next summer. Okay, we're going to jump now into two last transfer bits. I would probably define these as um, very out there rumours. <laughs> Daily Star. Is he killing the back to Tottenham? No. It is to Tottenham, though. It is a Tottenham rumour. Daily Star reporting that Spurs are keen on Jadon Sancho. Uh, So the new Spurs boss, Angie Postoglu, Postacoglu, always get his name wrong. How how Uh, dare you? How dare you? St. Ange, (laughs) if he's listening to this, Ange Postacoglu. There we go. 50 million pounds. A few lessons afterwards. Yeah. 50 million pounds for Jadon Sancho. I don't think that's. A, I don't think Man United would sell him for that, but I also think you'd be stupid to pay that for a player that's been so out of form. But what, what do you make of that ru- rumor? Look at our squad. Look at the Tottenham squad. And yes, again, you know, for for any first time listeners, not giving away trade secrets here, but saying that I am a Tottenham fan, so you are going to hear me say we and are in this next answer. But look at the Tottenham squad at the minute. <laughs> Wingers is not what we need, especially with the way the Postecoglou plays. Plays four three three. So we've got Kulusevski. We've got. Uh, human son nearly forgot about him there Jesus all, all the words wouldn't come out uh, and we've got Richarlison as well that could play as wiggers uh, I look through the rest of that squad that is not a position that I am thinking about needing to sign immediately um, that is probably priority number five on the list at this point ahead of that new goalkeeper absolutely certain that's the, the big one for Tottenham this summer probably new defenders definitely a new left back um the concern is about right back as well on, on that front. That, that do we have the defensive right backs that we need for for Postecoglou playing four three three normally? Um, ordinarily, that probably need a new central midfielder as well. So to spend fifty million on a player who hasn't again another one that hasn't fulfilled his potential in the Premier League yet. We know that Jaden Sancho has shown glimpses of it for Man United, but to spend fifty million on a player that hasn't fulfilled his potential in the Premier League and in a position where I think we're already quite well covered given how the new manager wants to play, it's not one that I would expect to see done this summer. Um, I'd be surprised on on all accounts there. Um, as you said as well, Manchester United probably wouldn't, wouldn't want to sell him for £50 million. So, and, and for them as well, it, it then... The squad depth that he provides for them is quite nice at the minute as well, I think. Um, and it And it... You can have him as a, not as your starting winger, but as a kind of, you know, someone to kind of, when you start rotating the squad as well, I think it's a nice option to have Jadon Sancho in the squad. Um, and if he was to leave, then that would probably put Man United in the market for a winger when they wouldn't leave one this summer otherwise. Um, so I think for from all areas concerned, and even for Jadon Sancho, would he get into that Tottenham squad? You know, you'd hope Son Heung-min returns to the form that he's shown previously that last year was just a blip in terms of his goal scoring. But does Jadon Sancho start ahead of Kulisevsky? Does he start ahead of Son? In my mind, no. Um, so he moves to Tottenham. He moves sideways. 
he probably obviously drops down because he'd be out of European football. But in terms of his his status within the squad, I would say he would move sideways. He wouldn't be a starter at Tottenham. He's not a starter at Manchester United. Manchester United would then have to go in the market for a winger to add to their squad depth and keep it um, as big as it currently is. And, and Tottenham would be splashing money on a position that they don't need to necessarily strengthen in at the minute. And there's, like I said, there's there's probably five or six other positions where they need to sign players. So I would be surprised if this one uh, is is done this summer. Yeah, well, we'll say that one's been debunked. I would say that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> I think I've debunked most of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think you have. But that one, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, last one, again, this one, I think initially when I read it, I thought, no. But then when I thought about it, I thought maybe. Um, the Daily Express are reporting that Man United could jump in to sign Arsenal defender William Saliba. <laughs> 12 months left on his contract. That contract has been reportedly signed, not signed, signed, not signed, not signed, not signed. So that there's, there's clearly issues there in negotiating that deal. I don't think Arsenal would be willing to let him leave for nothing. I think he also is probably so valuable to a team like Manchester United if they want him. He's such a good centre-back, one of probably in the top three of centre-backs in the Premier League, judging off last season. It, it wouldn't shock me if if he can't get a new deal at Arsenal if a Premier League team came in like a shark and took him. But what do you think? One year left, could Man United jump in for William Saliba? Or do you think that's again a, a maybe in the Jaden Sancho Spurs level of not likely to happen? I think it's not likely to happen, but not through a want of trying from Manchester United, I think they're going to have plenty of, of competition for it. You think about Real Madrid's central defenders and aside from Edem Minichal, they're all approaching the wrong side of 30, aren't they? You know, the, the other starters at least anyway. And he could definitely do the job for them. Um, you know, Barcelona, if they're able to balance the books and get back to where they are um, and, and kind of be in an attractive proposition, again, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't say no to a player of Saliba's calibre. Paris Saint-Germain would love to sign more French players. I think that's where they're looking for as well, isn't it, this summer? That they, they're kind of changing tacks a little bit, trying to get young French players in. I know Saliba's probably a little bit older than some of the others that they're looking at. But again, Frenchmen, young Frenchmen, who you could build a defence around for the next 10 to 12 years, they wouldn't say no to that either. Um, I don't suspect for a second that Manchester City, if they could hear a, a player of Saliba's calibre is available on a free transfer, that they'll go, no, nah, we'll sit this one out, boys, don't worry. You know, I'm, I'm sure they'd be happy to have someone of, of him on the books. And, and Newcastle as well, you know, we, we don't know where we'll be sitting this time next year with Newcastle. Um, you know, if they continue the trajectory that they've had, they'll be the treble winners this time. You know, if they, if they go from relegation battle last season to top four, and then if they carry that on, they, they, they could be the trouble winners this time this season. I am laughing and joking as I say that to anyone listening to his podcast. Teasing um, me because he knows I'm a Sutherland <laughs> fan. There's a couple of so, times he said little things about Newcastle being very good or having potential. And <laughs> I, I bit my tongue, but I can't there. If, if Newcastle win the treble next year, I think, um, I don't think I can leave the house for a year. like Gary Lineker. No, I, just, I think I just Gary wouldn't ever Lineker. talk to anyone for a year. I think I'd just go for a, a, a full... Personal blackout. <laughs> so it'd just be me and a blank screen this time next year. But I mean, yes. they might be in the market for Saliba as well because, you know, you look at that squad and how you develop it where you start bringing in high quality players. And yeah, I I think of all the clubs in this situation, Arsenal are in a very, very sticky one because William Saliba will not have a shortage of suitors for around Europe. And we are talking like, Europe's top, top clubs. I mean, I've not even mentioned Bayern Munich in that. Again, you know, they're, they're shrewd operators in the transfer market. And I'm sure, 
again, like all the others, if they get wind that William Saliba is potentially available for a free transfer, that Arsenal won't, that he won't be able to agree fresh terms with Arsenal, well, they're not going to stand at the back of the queue. They're going to be in there as well and and, and making sure that they're, they're well known and that Saliba keeps them in mind for sure. So, yeah, I, 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 it makes sense for Manchester United to be interested in him, but I don't think they'll be alone in wanting him. And I think that could be the biggest issue for Manchester United. It isn't what they can offer him. It's just what everyone else around Europe may be offering him at the same time. So what you're saying is, is you think Saliba might leave Arsenal. You just don't know if it'll be Man United. That's where we sit on that one. This summer, next summer, do you think Arsenal? I think January, if they can't. Well, I mean, that's the thing as well. I say, I think January, but of course, if we get to January and he's not signed a new deal then, well, you know, with how Madrid... Barcelona and likewise all the clubs from Europe can, can start speaking to him ahead of a Bosman move. So um, Arsenal need to wrap this up very, very quickly. This has to be, that that could probably, I know Arsenal are looking at adding uh, a few new faces in this summer to try and keep them on uh, to that next level to be title winners rather than just title contenders. But I think tying to leave it down is the best bit of business Arsenal could do this summer. I think they should trust Rob Holden personally. <laughs> I, think, I think he'll he'll be the difference next year. I think they just need to give him a full 30-year Premier League games and see uh, where you go. I actually think that Saliba's just playing this. He's, he'll sign for Arsenal. He's just trying to get a few extra zeros on the end of that deal personally. Um, so there we are. We've, we've discussed many a transfer rumour a day, Ned, I think. Ultimately, what we've seen is, is maybe we're in a bit of crazy season right now when it comes to transfer rumours. Interesting to see if any of the deals that we talk about, other than Chelsea getting rid of 12 players, I can see Chelsea getting rid of a lot of players this summer um, and maybe De Gea moving to Saudi Arabia. But thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Ned, for joining me and talking all things transfers. And we will be back soon enough to talk about more realistic or even very crazy transfers in the coming days. 